This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Go hey. It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live on a busy Wednesday as we get you ready for all of Major League Baseball and the A's against the Halos down at the Big A. Cap going to be going back home, down to Orange County, taking on a team that uh, he grew up watching. James Caprillion up against. He didn't get traded, so Shohei Otani is going to be on the mound. And Otani looking to become just the, what, the eighth guy to strike out at least 10 batters or more in a game in seven consecutive games. That's pretty darn impressive. But I don't think he's going to do it. And neither does the Rally Monkey, because the Rally Monkey is on our side. We've got a great show for you today. Coming up here in a few moments, a legendary conversation, Ray Fossey and Vin Scully. Going to be a classic. Scott Miller, our longtime buddy, national baseball columnist, and he's down in San Diego. Juan Soto uh, was announced today. Uh, got to see that press conference uh, along with Josh Bell and A.J. Preller. I don't even know who the managing general partner is, the Padres. He, the guy looked scared, uh, looked, did not look like your, your normal owner in professional sports. But uh, we'll talk to Scott Miller about that coming up at 430. Guy who's been with the Athletics for 52 years. Keith Lipman, now going into the A's Hall of Fame on Sunday, will join us coming up here at 445. And then our old buddy, the bench coach for the Angels, but he will always be an Oakland athletic, the great Mike Gallego will join us. Gags is going to be here on A's Cast Live once again. So you got Fosse and Scully. That's coming up. In moments, Scott Miller at 430, Keith Lippman at 445, and then Mike Gallego at 5 o'clock. You just switched it on me. 
No, I just said Gags, but he's the third base coach now. Now that Nevin's, Is that the bench coach anymore? That's former front office guy Ray Montgomery is the bench coach. Gags now does third base because Nevin's oh, the manager. Oh, so when when, – um, When Joe Madden was let go. Joe Madden gets fired. They, he goes from bench coach to third base coach. Yeah, and they brought Ray Montgomery to be the bench Who coach. Who cares about the Angels? But it's Mike Gallego, so we do care. World Series champion. That will be at 5 o'clock. A's right now after that loss are 13 and 11 in their last 24 games, 7 and 5. Let's see. What was the final yesterday? 3 to 1. 3 1, yeah. Final 3 to 1. Suarez with the win. Uh Irvin took the loss. That's right, 3 to 1. So the Athletics have now scored one run or less 35 times this year. That's not good, but I do have, you know, pretty decent numbers. 13-11 last 24, 7-5 since the All-Star break. Uh, Got to get better against the Angels. Just 2-6 against the Angels this, uh, this year. They've scored only 15 runs in eight games during that time. But remember, this team has been a lot more exciting, a lot more fun to watch. Last 18 games, hitting 244, 83 runs, 28 home runs. That's been the big difference. 34 doubles, and that's 62 extra base hits in the last 18 games. That has been solid for the A's. Much better than we saw in June and even before the start of the year. So A's bats have been better, and hopefully against Shohei Otani tonight, would love just to take it to him. The way the Mariners, if you're watching on MLB Network earlier today, if you have a life, hopefully far better than mine, as I sit and watch MLB Network all day long, uh, to watch Garrett Cole struggle and give up six in the first inning. And the Mariners making moves. Jerry DePoto saying, hey, my guys are in it. Luis Castillo goes out, throws the ball well. I think, what did he go, six innings, gave up three, whatever. Got the win at Yankee Stadium. Mariners win again at Yankee Stadium today. And you know what? Bravo to Jerry DePoto and the Mariners. They basically said, we're in this thing. We're not going to catch the Astros in the division, but who cares? You just got to get in. And what you're in, it's anybody's game. And they got pitching. And going to be a lot of fun to watch. So right now, they've been kind of, you know, waiting until they get their guy back. And just unfortunate to see Julio Rodriguez go down with that injury when he got hit in the hand. But he'll be back. They're going to be tough. Mariners are going to be tough. But as we talked about last night, the way we ended the show, it happened during the game. And just so unfortunate. And at 94 years old, but what a life. You know, when you live to be 94 and you have the kind of life that Vin Scully had, you don't look at it with sadness. You, you look at it as a celebration, a blessing. The kind of life that he had, 94 years old, and the amount of people, whether he knew you or you didn't know him, he touched so many people. And I think a great way to explain him, and it's very simplistic. My mother used to say this. He was a lovely man. He was. He was just great people. He was humble. He was grateful. 
I mean, you listen to that, 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 you know, it's almost like a poem. You know, his last words that, you know, you've seen a lot of it on Twitter, the, you know, the way he ended his career. And MLB Network tweeted it out, or I should say MLB uh, tweeted it out. It's so eloquent. It's just, it's him. But as big as a star, truly one of the great American broadcasters, just not sportscasters, truly one of the, the great American broadcasters, you would know it, didn't act like it, didn't big league anybody. I have watched some of these guys who you thought would be your idols, and you looked up at these guys who were just jerks. You know, it goes to their head, and their stardom goes to their head, and their fame and their money. Go- Vince Scully was never that way, just genuine, absolutely gen- genuine, and a terrific, terrific guy. And if you're in this business long enough, you probably had your moment. Everybody had it's it's crazy. Everybody has a Vince Scully moment. Everybody has a Vince Scully story. My my Vince Scully story is Candlestick Park. And my dear friend Larry Kruger and I were doing weekends on KMBR and it was Giants pregame. And and probably a lot of you don't know this, but Candlestick was so old and terrible. But the Giants clubhouse and the opposing clubhouse, the doors faced each other. There's nothing like it. I mean, it was crazy. Usually, the clubhouses go up to the dugouts, right? So they're they're not next to each other. But at Candlestick, the Giants clubhouse went up from the dugout. But remember, the opposing team would have to walk down the right field line and then go into the doors. And actually, you'd have to pass the Niners locker room and walk all the way down the hallway to where the the visiting locker room was. And the doors of the home and visiting locker room faced each other. It was convenient for the media. You could just go from one locker room to the other. It was like five steps. Well, Larry and I are standing outside. And the locker room's closed. Excuse me, the clubhouse is closed. And door opens up for the, the visiting clubhouse, and it's Vin Scully. I've got the old tape recorder around my shoulder holding a microphone. I look at Larry, and I go, I got to ask him. I had to have been, I don't know, 24, 20. I mean, I started at KMBR really early. So I, it would, probably would have been about 25. 26, something like that. And I go up to Vince Scully, Mr. Scully, Chris Townsend, Larry Kruger. We do the Giants pregame show on the weekend. I know you're really busy. If I could just get a couple minutes of your time. I know you grew up a Giants fan. I I laid it on, you know, the whole thing. And in that legendary voice, no problem, gentlemen. And right there, right then, I hit record. And I know Larry has talked about this uh, when he came back on KMBR. And we started doing the interview with Vince Scully, and it just started going on and on and on. And it was just, you're like, you're just in awe the whole time going, this Vince Scully. Because remember, I grew up in Southern California, so Vince Scully, as much as I grew up hating the Dodgers, you always listen to Dodger baseball because they they had an affiliate in San Diego. And, you know, you always listen to baseball on the radio because that's what we did in the 70s and in the early 80s because a lot of games weren't always on television. And you always listen to Vince Scully. And Vince Scully, to me, growing up, Vince Scully was NFL. He was golf. 
He was the Masters. He was CBS Golf. Um, Vince Scully was just the, you know, he was the guy. I think now with everybody talking about Vince Scully as, oh, the greatest baseball announcer and, oh, Vin this and Vin that, you know, for a kid growing up, you just, you know, Vin was just the best broadcaster, but you didn't think about that. I'm not 12 years old going, you know, Vince Scully's the best broadcaster. It's just Vince Scully did everything. You listen to the World Series, it's Vin Scully. You know, you're watching football, it's Vin Scully. You're watching golf, it's Vin Scully. I mean, he was just, he was on so many different things. And the same thing for Dick Enberg, and then comes Bob Costas and Al Michaels. I mean, these legendary broadcasters, they're just, you expect them to be on. I remember it was a couple Olympics ago where the Olympics started out and it was Mike Tirico. And I'm like, where the hell is Bob Costas? Because the Olympics to me is Bob Costas. And obviously, I didn't realize I had to look it up. Bob Costas had stopped. He'd stepped down. I didn't read that. And I'm like, why is my – usually Mike Tirico is the guy that comes on, you know, a week into the Olympics or for lesser stuff or the the off hours. I mean, primetime hours, Olympics, I need me some Bob Costas. So that's what Scully was when I was growing up. And so here Larry and I are. And I look down, it's 12 minutes, then it's 18 minutes. Remember, it's a cassette tape. It's not like what we have now where, you know, we we record an interview and we can edit it, edit it and do all that kind of stuff. Now, this was off a cassette tape, and I would have to wire this back. to I'd have to, to get the phone clippers. And the, the way we had it was archaic still back then. We're talking about the 90s. Cody, the 90s were archaic. Did you know that? Uh, it was in my... Early, my formative years, as they say. Our, our technology was still archaic. Sega was big back then. So, I'm rolling on this thing on a cassette tape. Now, Scully did like 23, 23 minutes. And it wasn't like we were like egging him on. He just wouldn't stop talking because I felt bad. Because, remember, he's now going to have to walk down that hallway that I talked about that goes past the Niners locker room out onto the field down the right field line to cut all the way back to right field down the line to go all the way past home plate to go up the stairs by the Dodgers dugout, which then you got to go all the way up the stairs at Candlestick to go all the way to the elevator. To get to the press elevator, he's got to go a long way. Not like any stadiums today, the new stadiums. It was a joke. Didn't matter. Vince Scully did 23, about 23 minutes. We ended up breaking it up, playing it for two days, played the whole thing twice in the postgame show, the Giants postgame show, and to this day was something that touched me in my career. And I know I've always thought if anyone's ever asked me, I mean, who the hell am I? But if anybody ever asked me, hey, Mr. Towns and I, you know, if I could have an interview, of course. If Vince Scully can do it for me, hell, I can do it for anybody. But a nobody kid doing the Giants weekend, Vince Scully stopped and did 23 minutes. And I will never forget that. That's the kind of person Vince Scully was. And there's story after story after story about him. We, we could line up today's show with everybody here in the Bay Area who's ha- who has a Vince Scully story. 
Everybody's got one. That's the kind of man he is. That's why how you live your life, people, how you interact, and it's something you're going to hear from Keith Lippman. What's made Keith Lippman's career so great is that Keith Lippman understood that he had a skill of helping people get better. Wasn't about him. It was about helping other people achieve their dreams, their goals. And it's led him now to be remembered forever as an Oakland A's Hall of Famer. In an organization that Keith Littman has been in for 52 years. How many people will ever work for a business for 52 years? And especially professional sports. Doesn't happen. Gratitude. Humility. We're talking about a lot of that today because that's Keith Lippman and that's also somebody like Vince Scully. Here is an interview. Which wait, do, do you know the actual date? Uh, I went back and looked when I found it last night. It was back in 2012 when the A's and Dodgers were playing. This was when Cespedes hit that walk-off laser down the left field line. That series, I don't know. Do you remember that series? Um, I remember the walk-off. I I, he hit that. I mean, it was a bullet down the left field line. Like, it showed you how strong Cespedes was because to hit a ball that hard, that low, normally would hit off the wall or one hop the wall. He hit it, and you know where my vantage point is from my booth in the press box. He hits it, and you think it's going to be a double, and you're like, wow, that's a home run. I think it was a walk-off. It was a game. It, it won the game. I don't know if it was a walk-off or it was a, towards the end of the game, but I'll never forget that series. Cespedes went off, and he hit that laser, and you're like, damn, this guy's legit. Uh, Love me some Cespedes. By the way, while, while we aired the interview, I have a, a video that was sent to us from our boss, the great Delaire Lawars. Um, it's, it's just like a 22-second video with no audio of Vin Scully, so I can add it to the stream like this, and it's just an overlay of different Vin – videos and Look talk with Sandy Koufax, yeah, that we can just keep playing during the during yeah. the interview we're playing right now. It's a career, you know, one of the reasons that his career is so special, it's just not, you know, it's it, take like Derek Jeter. If Derek Jeter got drafted by the Kansas City Royals and spent his whole career with the Kansas City Royals, He'd be greatness. He'd have 3,000 hits. He'd be a Hall of Famer. He'd be first ballot. But he wouldn't be the Derek Jeter we know. You know, part of greatness is luck. And Vince Scully being somebody who was born, grew up in Manhattan, did the Brooklyn Dodgers in the number one market, and then is with the Dodgers and moves west as they usher in baseball to the West Coast in 1958. And Los Angeles is exploding and becomes the number one. New York will always be the number one market. I talked about this yesterday in the postgame show. I don't know if you heard it, but New York is the number one radio market. It's because there's so many cars. You know, there's a lot of people in New York, more people in New York, but there's a lot of people public transit. They don't listen to radio. The reason why L.A. is so powerful in the radio business and the music industry that's where the music industry is for, you know, maybe not for like country, or but, but for a lot of the music industry is based out of Los Angeles. Why? 
because the power of radio and cars. There's more people in cars, more people listening to radio in cars, L.A.'s king. So you have Vin that did it in New York, and then he does it in L.A. To go along with the greatness and his talent, likability, his just attention to detail with the English language, his hard work, his cadence, his rhythm, public speaking. I mean, just there's so much greatness to his skill. And obviously being a very bright man, big reader, was into politics. I guess, you know, uh, at one point thought about going into politics. You know, our buddy Greg from Slow, who calls into Ace Cast, grew up with uh, Vince. Well, didn't grow up with, but knows Vin's son. And learned a lot about Vin through his son. And Vin thought about, you know, he was friends with Ronald Reagan, thought about a run in politics. But a big his, a big reader, a big historian. He's very bright. Went to Fordham University. Played against George Bush at Yale. That was the first call. He played in the College World Series, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the story is amazing. But also, he did it in New York. And, you know, Vin does this in, I don't know, Houston. Or he does it in Seattle. It's a different deal. But he did it in New York, and he did it in L.A. Remember, you said Keith Lippman, 52 years with the Ace. Vin did 15 more years with the Dodgers. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the traveling, the amount of traveling. Yeah. The amount of traveling that he did. Uh, and, and once again, we're not, we're not taken away from the other sports. I mean, he did the NFL. He did the catch. For you Niner fans out there, a lot of you listening, you're Niner fans. The start of the 49er dynasty. What made Bill Walsh? You know I always honor my guy, Bill. We fixed him. Well, you fixed him. I fixed him. Honor my guy, Bill Walsh. What made Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, the start of the dynasty, the 1981 NFC Championship game against the hated Dallas Cowboys at Candlestick Park. The cat, you got the catch. You want it before we get to Vince? Yes, Vince Scully did the catch for God's sakes in 1981. Probably a lot of you weren't even alive at the time. Nine seconds left in the game. The Cowboys have two timeouts. The 49ers have one, and you know what? For one of the rare times, what they thought was going to be a barn burner is exactly that. That's exactly what we thought it was going to be, yeah. and that's what that's what we're seeing here this afternoon. What a sensational game! Talking about six, Don Landry is six yards away from his sixth Super Bowl. And, of course, for the upstart 49ers, they're six yards away from Pontiac. Third and three. The right side, possibly. Montana looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4". He stands about 10 feet tall in this crowd's estimation. The upstart 49ers. Did you hear that? Yeah, remember, the 49ers are terrible. The upstart 49ers. My man, Bill Walsh, greatest San Jose State. Well, he's not the greatest Spartan. One of them, because as a player, Bill wasn't much of a player. Well, we got a couple Super Bowl coaches. You might have heard of them. Bill Walsh, Dick Vermeil. You know, Vermeil. San Jose State football players turned great coaches. Dick Vermeil's going to the Hall of Fame in a few days. Uh, actually, the Hall of Fame game is tomorrow, so is it this weekend? 
Yeah, we, we produce Hall of Fame, some of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, but, yeah, I, I, was, I was watching a video today of Vin doing golf, and I don't know where it was, and I didn't know the golfer, but it was a golfer couldn't get out of, like, a, a pop bunker. <laughs> he hits it, can't get out. Hits it, can't get out. And, 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 and Vin, this golf. Just describing it, just the misery perfectly. It, it, it just didn't matter what he did. Like, we all think baseball, but Finn did a lot of other things. I mean, the Masters is huge. It's highly rated on CBS every single year. But here is Vin Scully and our own Ray Fossey. Hall of Famer broadcaster Vin Scully joins us on A's Warm-Up. And, Vin, so many great things that you have been involved with. And I just want to mention a few of those and have you comment on them. Sandy Koufax, perfect game in 1965. What do you remember? Well, Ray, first of all, I've probably done, I think it's 25 Mm no-hitters and uh, several uh, perfect games. Sandy's the only pitcher I've ever been involved with whom I felt after two or three pitches in the first inning I would have the thought he might pitch a no-hitter. Now, I know that sounds strange, and yet that was the feeling. Uh, the night that uh, he played the Cubs, and it was an unbelievable game because here is Sandy pitching a perfect game. Bob Henley, another left-hander with the Cubs, pitches a one-hitter, and Sandy winds up winning the perfect game. As I say, I, every time he went to the mound, I marveled. And the one difference with his perfect game, uh, as you know, he did four. And each one, even if the Oakland pitcher tonight is pitching and I was on radio, I would uh, give the date so that 25 years from now that pitcher would remember in case he forgot. Well, I had done that with Sandy three three times. So this night he's pitching the perfect game. And I thought, what can I do for the grandkids? And I thought, I know, I'll put the time on. Well, time means nothing in baseball. But I put the time on, and so at 9.28, as Sandy goes to the mound, whatever. Well, this went over like it was the most dramatic, theatrical thing I could have done. It was pure luck. As I say, I was doing it strictly for Sandy Koufax. 1955, Brooklyn Dodgers win their only World Series. You were there. What, What do you remember about that? I was on the last half of the game working with the great Mel Allen. Johnny Padres was pitching. Uh, the last out was a ground ball to short, and Pee Wee Reese claims, to, well, God rest his soul, but we used to tease him that he didn't aim the throw. Hodges had to stretch <laughs> like a pair of scissors to catch it, and they finally have won the only world championship in the history of the borough. And being on the air, I said, ladies and gentlemen, the Brooklyn Dodgers are the champions of the world. And that's all I said. And we went off the air, and all winter long, people would say to me, how could you have been so calm? How could you have just been matter-of-fact? I wasn't. The point being, I could not have said another word. I think I would have broken down and cried. I was so emotionally affected by the fact that these fellas whom I knew so well finally attained that elusive championship. Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson, two prominent players for the Brooklyn Dodgers. What about those two? Roy Campanella was part Italian and part black, so he was black and white. Uh, He was from a small area in Philadelphia called Nice Town, and he really was from Nice Town. 
And he was very jolly. He was the mother hen. He'd go out to the mound to counsel or tease or console, whatever it might be. Uh, I remember sitting at his feet, literally, uh, in spring training, listening to him tell me about playing in the Negro Leagues, as they call them, playing three games in one day and covering 100 miles. That were, they were on the bus longer than they were on the playing field. He was a sheer delight. Uh, Charlie Dressen, in those days, had a rule. If you won, you could have a beer. If you lost, it was soda pop. And I remember Campy a lot of times would come up in the ninth inning, hit a game-winning <laughs> home run, and running around the bases, he would holler, ice that beer, ice that beer. So everybody loved him. He, he was terrific. Jackie Robinson was perhaps the single most exciting player I've ever seen in the sense that when he started, everyone was against him. There were a lot of people who tried to hurt him, and he would respond by trying to beat them. And I remember Leo DeRocher, the manager of the Giants, used to tell the Giants, leave him alone, let him sleep, don't wake him up. Most of us, I would say the high percentage of us, lose something when we're angry. We're not quite as effective. Jackie, when he was angry, raised his level a little higher. I saw him in Pittsburgh one night. They threw at him, so he was angry. So he bunted for a base hit, stole second, <laughs> stole third, stole home. Yeah. Uh, that was Jackie Robinson. Yeah. I mean, he was a firebrand and was so till the day he hung him up. The move from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. You were there, uh, of course, in Brooklyn, and with the move, and you've been the Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster ever since. What was that like to move from the east to the west? Well, I had just gotten married, so it was bittersweet. I was leaving my family and all of my friends, but at the same time I had a job. Mm -hmm. and I didn't know I was going to have that job. I mean, I'd only been there a few years, and uh, thank goodness they said, you know, we're going to take you with us. Uh, when I got to Los Angeles, uh, I had the feeling there was no heart of the city. It was so big and so spread out. And the biggest uh, stroke of good fortune I had, the games were being played in the Coliseum, which was a football stadium and a track stadium, but certainly not baseball. But when I got there, it was the advent of the transistor radio. Now, anyone could have had that good break. It just happened to fall into my lap. And that's really what bonded me with the people in the ballpark and with the city and all of Southern California. So uh, I was truly fortunate, Ray, with the combination and especially the transistor radio. Yeah. Tough question. You've seen so many players in all your years. If there's one player that you could say the best I've ever seen, I know it's hard, but what one player can you think of that was the best that you saw? Well, narrowing it down to the National League because I just didn't see enough of the American League. I do know my favorite on paper in the American League was Joe DiMaggio. Mm -hmm. uh, when you realize that Joe DiMaggio, the most times he ever struck out in one season was 39. We've got guys that strike out 39 <laughs> during the National Anthem. Uh, 39. Uh, amazing. Unbelievable. He was a little bit less, but his home runs and strikeouts are almost the same. So he was truly remarkable. And of course, we know about Ted Williams. Uh, the other night, I, I did a little symposium and among those there were Tony La Russa, and he was asked that same question. I was surprised. He said Ricky Henderson, and I didn't realize that. I knew Ricky was a very good player. I didn't realize he was that stature, but Tony said absolutely. Over in the National League, uh, the player that I've always felt was the best all-around player 
was Willie Mays. Mm. I felt that Willie could easily have been a shortstop, second baseman, third baseman, first baseman. I don't know about pitch, but uh, he was the best all-around player. When you start talking to Henry Aaron, Roberto Clemente, I mean, you're with the gods of baseball, so it is tough, but I think I've said it. Willie Mays, all-around, probably the one. And we're with the god of broadcasting, <laughs> Mr. Vin Scully. No. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. My pleasure, Ray. God bless. They had a friendship. It's a great story that uh, Ray Fossey told us how he once called Vin Scully on his birthday, and Vin was at dinner. And uh, are you calling Scott Miller? Uh, yeah. Oh, but if you want to finish this, go ahead. No, you you tell it better than I do. I was just trying to. Yeah, no. So back in 2020, we call Scott Miller at the same time. Do two things at once. Back in 2020, when we honored uh, the '74 World Series team when the A's took down the Dodgers in the World Series, we wanted to have Vin on because we had a lot of the former players. We had Steve Garvey, we had um, Howie Roseman when we did the Mets. We had a lot of our former players on, so we wanted to talk to Vin Scully about it, and he politely declined. But Ray called him on his birthday to ask him if he would do it, and, and he said, uh, Ray, I'm out to dinner with my family right now, and Ray was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And Ray told me this. He goes, Vin said, Ray, I got time to talk to you. At, at, for dinner? Yeah, at his birthday dinner. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of guy Vin Scully was. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Scott, Chris Townsend with the A's. How are you? Good, Chris. How are you? Uh, Well, you know, we're just reminiscing like everybody in baseball about Vin Scully. Uh, we just played a, a legendary interview from our own Ray Fossey, who we recently lost. And, and Ray and Vin were, were friends, and it was just a classic interview. And, and I know everybody has a story. It's, it, just, it just tells you how remarkable a person Vin Scully was. You know, it didn't matter NFL, golf, Major League Baseball. He touched so many lives. Uh, what a great man, and I sh- I'm sure all your years in baseball, you have a story too. Yeah, I do. I mean, a- anytime you bumped into Vin Scully, it was a good day. I, I-, I mean, I- you know, I'm based in Southern California. I've never, I mean, I- it's not like I'm at Dodger Stadium all every game. I'm not a Dodgers beat writer, but I've been there plenty over the last 20 years. And before Scully hung it up after the 2016 season, you know, some of my favorite moments were having dinner in the press box cafeteria or the press box dining room uh, before the game and then and walk through and, uh, you know, stop the chat or whatever, maybe remark on a story somebody wrote. And he, he always had a smile. He was one of those magical people that made you feel better every single time you ran into him. I don't know if he ever had a bad day. I'm sure he did, but boy, you would never know it. I mean, he was a poet behind the microphone, uh, you know, and he just, he's part of what made the game of baseball great, even though he never put on a uniform. Yeah, he's definitely going to be missed and, and obviously heavy hearts around the game of baseball. 
not heavy hearts going on right now in San Diego as we saw the press conference earlier today on MLB Network. A uh, buddy is of mine down there telling me tonight's game is actually sold out. The Padres already averaged around 37,000. Now you bring in Bell and, of course, Juan Soto, the big news. Just what is it like there in Southern California with Juan Soto now, a San Diego Padre? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a pinch-me type of feeling, I think, for fans around town. Um, for so long, you know, San Diego, they, they've mostly been irrelevant in the baseball world for many, many years. And then, you know, since this new ownership took over in 2014, <laughs> they, they've been more relevant. I mean, obviously, they, they signed Eric Hosmer. They signed Manny Machado. They, they, you know, A.J. Preller's acquired a ton of talent. But this, this week was just beyond. I mean, it was a big enough day on Monday when they acquired Josh Hader from the Milwaukee Brewers. And then, and then uh, yesterday for them to be able to get Josh or uh, uh, Soto, Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Yeah. Uh, just phenomenal. I mean, it's an upgrade. And I think it absolutely puts the Padres on the radar as uh, a legitimate World Series contender. I mean, they still have to play. They still have to go out and win. And we saw last year they were talented, and then they collapsed in August and September. So, you know, I'm not ready to put the car in front of the horse yet. But, you know, if they can win one of these wild card spots, and, and I'm going to say wild card because the Dodgers 12-game lead, and they just went 21-5 in July. So I don't expect the Dodgers to give up a 12-game lead this late in the season. But Padres, they got to they they have to work toward making sure they get to the playoffs by winning a wild card, and then if they do, then I think they have as good a chance to win as anybody because you know if they can get out of that wild card round when you when they line up in a best of seven series, whether it's against the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves, whoever, I mean, they've had the pitching that can win with the rotation of you know the former A Sean Manaya. Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, Mike Clevenger is looking better and better. Then they add Hader to the bullpen. Padres' issue has been, you know, at times this year they've struggled to score enough runs. Well, you know, not only does Soto come in, the best young hitter in the game, um, you know, they upgraded at first base with Josh Bell. Um, you know, they acquired in a, in a trade that was totally overlooked, Brandon Drury from the uh, third baseman from the Cincinnati Reds, and he can hit. And they've got Fernando Tatis Jr. probably coming back in about two weeks, and he's not even played this year. So they've got the pitching to win in October, and now I think they have the lineup to do it. Yeah, and he's and Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. know each other. They the Soto was asked about it in the press conference. You mentioned Tatis and we have been now hearing this. Oh, it's gonna be this date, then it's that date. I mean, he started taking BP. That means you are a long way away. I have to believe he's going to start at least in the outfield. I don't know uh, if it's going to be center field or where it's going to be, but do you really think that it's that close, or are we going to need to see him have some type of what you would say like a spring training down in the minor leagues, getting some games in in a rehab assignment? That is a very excellent and astute question, and uh, I, and what I would say is this: your skepticism has been shared by me for much of the season. When they the Padres first revealed the spring, 
that Tatis Jr. had been in the motorcycle wreck and, and broken his wrist, they immediately said their timetable was that he will be back in, you know, like mid-June. And I called BS on that right away. It's like there's no way. It would, if you're, I mean, Chris, you know, if you're a hitter, major league hitter, your hands and your wrists are tricky. You've got to have them healthy. And if you have a broken wrist, it takes a while to come back. So Padres tried to say, well, it's going to be uh, mid-June. And I thought that was ridiculous. And then, sure enough, they pushed it back to July. But where, when I saw where he was at the time, in his, he, he was hardly doing anything on the field. I thought, same thing. No way. They're saying July, not going to happen. So now here we are on August 3rd. And what I will tell you is this. I, I've been a skeptic all the way through. Um, I do think he's two to three weeks away. He, 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 as you say, he's been taking live BP. He, he's, they've been going every other day. And, and the key thing is the off days in between. His wrist has recovered well. He hadn't had, in other words, he hadn't had any setbacks. So <clears throat> the best hope for the Padres, they hope he can go out on a minor league rehab assignment, possibly as early as this weekend. I agree with you. Yeah, he, he, he hadn't played in games in a while, so he is going to need some time in the minors uh, rehabbing. But if he goes out this weekend, I do think, uh, say, two-ish weeks from now is finally a realistic timeline you know major league baseball expanded playoffs scott you thought there's going to be way more teams who who are going to be battling to try and get in and there's going to be so many more deals and you know there are teams that really didn't do much if not they kind of folded the tent we're talking about some big market teams too uh you know i know hosmer's going on to boston but if i'm the boston red sox I'm the San Francisco Giants. I'm the Chicago White Sox. We already knew the Cubs were a dud. You got some big market teams that didn't do anything. You think the commissioner's office is disappointed? Yeah, I mean, and the Chicago White Sox didn't do anything, and they're a team that has a chance to win this year. And they, I don't understand. They, they've been awfully quiet all along. But, yeah, I mean – I don't know if the commissioner's office is disappointed. I mean, I think the Juan Soto trade um, excited everybody enough that I think if the commissioner's office is looking at the big picture, I don't know that they're unhappy. I do think they do have to uh, have some issues with the ongoing lack of competitive competitiveness of some teams. I mean, you know, right after the CBA was the new CBA was agreed to in the lockout ended last spring. I mean, you know, you had Oakland, you had Cincinnati immediately start to trade players away. And, you know, since then we, we, we've seen some other things and the Chicago Cubs still try to, are trying to strip things down. I mean, you know, me, the Cubs, you mentioned them. And I think that's an embarrassment. I mean, you know, 2016, they win a world series and I know they tried to take a couple more shots at it, but you you see other big market teams, you know, like even Boston that's trying to retool um, rather than strip things down. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't know if the commissioner's office would be disappointed just in yesterday, but I do think the uh, certain markets and their lack of interest in winning, uh, which speaks to the competitive integrity of the game, um, I I think remains an ongoing issue. No doubt. And I, 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 listening to Boston, some Boston people go, Hey, listen, getting Hosmer, but the Padres are paying a lot of it. I'm like, 
What are you the is Heim Bloom running these guys like the Rays or the Boston Red Sox for God's sakes? You should be talking yeah. about you, you. I mean, where's Big Poppy? Where's Manny Ramirez? Where's Pedro Martinez? You have the highest. You, your tickets are the highest tickets in baseball. You are cash rich, and you're happy you got Eric Hosmer on a deal. For God's sake, start acting like the Boston Red Sox again. Yeah, I totally agree, and I'll I'll go one one beyond where you went. You, you mentioned where's Big Poppy, where's Pedro Martinez. <clears throat> How about where's Mookie Betts? Yeah, I mean, there's a recent guy that they didn't want to pay, and and they yeah it didn't work out. And they just traded him away. I mean, you know, it's a game about stars. I, I I know you need you know the ultimate goal is to win, but you're right. If you're going to be charging the highest tickets in the game, um, I, I look, I love Fenway Park. But I don't think it's worth it to pay for the highest tickets in the game just to go get the ballpark experience at Fenway Park when they got a bunch of no-name guys on the field. Yeah, it just does not make sense. From the Dodgers' standpoint, obviously they're going to look south and go, okay, Padres are in it once again and A.J. Preller's making moves. How do the – I mean, Dodgers not making anything I, – I don't think we're all going to go, oh, they took Joey Gallo off the Yankees' hands. I mean, how do you feel about the Dodgers after the break? Yeah, I mean, I expected more, I have to be honest. I know they were trying to get Pablo Lopez, the young starter from Miami, and they just felt the price was too high. And that, by the way, was part of it too. I think the prices were high this year. You saw what San Diego sent to Washington for Juan Soto. It was like, you know, five or six prospects and – <laughs> the prices were high, but still the Dodgers can pay it. Um, I, I think I grade the Dodgers on the curve because they have a track record of being aggressive and making big moves. I mean, last year is when they brought Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in. Previous trade deadlines, Andrew Friedman brought Manny Machado in. He brought you Darvish in. I mean, this is the first year in a few that the Dodgers weren't at the forefront of the big name acquisitions. So, um, you know, look, they just came off at 21 and five July. So they're, they're, they, to me, remain the favorite to win the, the league. I mean, certainly the Padres have improved themselves and closed the gap, but the other thing with the Dodgers remember is, um, Dustin may hasn't pitched all year because he underwent Tommy John surgery last year. And they think he, they're going to get him back at some point late in the season and the other guy, he's been out with an oblique and some issues is uh, Walker Bueller. You know, he's yeah. been out for a while, and he's getting closer returning. So, you know, Dodgers just, as I said, 21-5 and five in July, running away with the division, really good as they stand, and they're getting Walker Bueller and Dustin May back uh, after extended absences. So, you know, I, I think even though they didn't make a big – big move i think they're in good shape all right so the athletics are down in anaheim taking on the angels and obviously you you know a lot about what's going on in southern california and Audie, Artie moreno ha, is a very emotional owner uh not yep. afraid to spend uh when i heard the Shohei otani rumors i was like are you out of your mind i just think about the amount of money as an owner that you're making from Japanese corporations, the amount of money, I mean, forget just the once-in-a-lifetime talent that Shohei Otani is. I'm thinking as a businessman, there's nobody who's going to bring me the kind of cash that Shohei Otani, he fills butts in the seats and he brings money from Japan. 
are, are you buying? Obviously, they did do it at the deadline. Are are you going to buy that they're actually going to trade him? No, you know what, Chris? I, I've been in the camp all along that says they're not going to trade him. I think I think at trade deadline time, a lot of people get them. A lot of by people, I mean a lot of uh, reporters especially a lot of reporters who specialize in the rumors and the trade deadline stuff. I think a lot of them get a little too excited and maybe overthink things. Um, I, I was of the mind all along that there's no way they're trading Otani in midseason. And frankly, he's a free agent after next year. And now there's some talk they may trade him this winter. And I'll be shocked if they do that too. For, for starting with reasons you mentioned, um, I don't think people understand the true value of Shohei Otani uh, as it relates to, as you said, the, the attendance, the, the uh, Japanese media market, the money he's the Artie Marino's making from Japan, all of that. Um, secondly, it's a once in a generational player. He's doing stuff. None of us have ever seen before. And thirdly, <laughs> as you mentioned, Marino's emotional. He's also very, much an arrogant swashbuckling kind of old west cowboy and to that end i don't see him in that personality type trading otani because that's going to fully admit publicly you know that i we've screwed this up we're not going to win uh we can't figure out a way to win i don't see Artie marino having the personality to admit defeat uh, until he gets to the very end of the line with Otani. Let's end on this. And by the way, we know you've been playing hurt, so we appreciate you stopping by A's Cast Live today. Uh, you got it. So here you go. You got you got Juan Soto at the end of this year, 2022. Then you got him for 2023, and then you got him till 2024. He's a free agent after the 2024 season. So in 2025 on opening day. Will the Padres have Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, and Juan Soto all on the roster? I'm going to say no just because, you know, you'd be talking about three guys with, with, with contracts well north of $300 million. Well, Machado's right at $300 million, But, you know, Soto's going to, unless he gets hurt or things go south, Soto is going to end up at about $600 million or some ridiculous astronomic figure. I don't see one team, whether it's the Padres or even Moneybags teams like the Dodgers or Yankees, uh, supporting three players with contracts north of $300 million. So I, I think something's going to have to give and either Soto will walk as a free agent or you know, maybe maybe one of the other two guys will get traded, and you know they'll figure out a way to get some salary relief. But I don't see how all three fit on the same roster. You're one of our all-time favorites. Be well, get healthy, my friend, and let's talk soon. Sounds great, Chris. You take care too. Thank you. Scott Miller, longtime national baseball columnist, now down in San Diego. I mean, he does stuff for MLB, for MLB Radio, Sirius XM. He's on Fox Sports down there, does so much, and a great resource all these years being on our programs, all the different programs. Oh, by the way, did you hear that? No way all three guys are on the roster. No way. Somebody's got to go. 
Who stays, who goes? We could play that game between Machado, <laughs> Tatis Jr., and Soto. I'd bet right now, if I had to bet, I'm going to go Tatis Jr. Oh, I was going to go Manny. I don't know if Tatis, Tatis Jr. has never been healthy. Him and, but him and Soto are the same age. So, I mean, I think. Never you, been healthy. He's all of a sudden going to get healthy? Uh, probably not, but I, I've, I think you want to go with the future of those two guys over Manny Machado. No, M- Manny's been great the last Manny's couple years. Manny's been a baller for them. But he's 29, so in two more years he's going to be in his, wait for Ooh, it, in his 30s. His 30s. You want to get rid of him when you can. Tatis and Soto are going to be, tw- what, 25? Going on 26? Big di- big difference in age there between those guys. I'm going to go Nando. I don't know. The way they market him in San Diego, there's – You don't need him anymore. You got Soto. That's if they keep if they can keep Soto. Well, you keep Soto. Soto for Nando. Nando for Soto. What if they wa- – what if what if so- Soto walks in and he goes, I only stay if you get rid of Manny? What if I blow all of you out and go buy more pitching? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But all three, all three of them. Remember, they're paying Joe, Joe Musgrove $100 million over the next five years. Well, Darvish is not cheap. No. You also are going to have to do something. Well, Clevenger is getting older. He's like in his early 30s. He makes some decent loot. Yeah, so you're going to have to re-sign some guys. The payroll for the Padres is over 230 Yeah, you're going to have to replace a lot of guys in that lineup, too. They're playing with a lot of uh, – it's like Trent Christian is probably not going to be their center fielder of the future. Well, it was going to be Robert Hassel the third, but he's now in Washington. Uh, did you hear what I said? They're averaging thirty-seven thousand. Yeah, they're. I think thirty-seven. That sold out tonight, but they're averaging thirty-seven thousand, and they're. I think they're 50, how many games out of first? Twelve and a half. I think they're fifteen. They're fifth in attendance, I believe, in baseball. Who's higher? Uh, Dodgers, Yankees, Yankees, Braves. I think. Uh, I think I had it. Uh, let me get it. Padres are currently 11 and a half games back of the Dodgers, and they're averaging yeah. 37,000. Dodgers, Cardinals, Yankees, Braves. Dodgers average 48,000. Cardinals average 39,000. Yankees, if you round up 39,000. Braves, 39,000. And then Houston, or, uh, San Diego, 37. And then Houston's next. Six at... 33.5 to 34,000. Okay, here, here's a reality for baseball attendance. And take it for what it's worth. You can hammer it all you want. But since the Dodgers moved west in 1958, no one even comes close to them in games attended. Yeah, I said it, and it's true. I mean, there are over 2 million. They may show up. They may show up late and leave early. But the attendance numbers since the Dodgers moved into the L.A. Coliseum in 1958, no one touches them. Not the Yankees, not any, not the Cardinals. Dodgers have had the best attendance from today's date, August 3rd, 2022, to when they started in 1958. Nobody has had more fans go through the turnstiles than, turnstiles than the L.A. Dodgers. And no one gets criticized probably as much about attendance because – of L.A. fans showing late, and a lot probably has to do with traffic. But they show up. I went back and looked just 20 years ago. Surprisingly, who was who do you think led in attendance in 2002? Would be one of the teams of the new ballpark. To be the Seattle Mariners. Safeco Field. 
Then it was, I'm going to assume it's, it just says New York. It doesn't tell you Yankees or Mets, but I'm assuming it's the Yankees. Then the Giants, new ballpark, Arizona. And then new ballpark. Los Angeles doesn't say if it's the Angels or if it's the Dodgers. That would be the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, because they have them as Anaheim. Anaheim was 16th. Back in 2000, the team with the worst attendance in baseball was 2002. Sorry. 2002 worst attendance? Yes. Not no clue. That'd be the Montreal Expos. Ooh, got to get them out. Move them to D.C. Uh, by the way, Pirates, second year PNC Park, $1.784 That's it? That's all you could get there? Second year of the ballpark? I know, you st- I know they stunk, but Jesus, that's not good. Yeah, in the 90s and early 2000s, attendance was a lot about, all right, who's got the new ballparks? What, where are you in the honeymoon period of the new ballpark? Right now, certain teams are riding high. But then there's other people right now that are going to tell you, you know what, enjoy, we'll see what San, you know, what San Diego does. Are we sure, by the way? You want me to call Gax? Is he ready? I'll tell him right now that we're calling him. Um, are we sure that that Soto gets this crazy deal? What if the Padres do keep him and then flip him? Now he's 25, 26. Now you're now looking into buying the later years. Are we sure he's going to get this deal that everybody claims he's going to get? He's already not a good outfielder, so you're already worried about that. So I don't know. A couple of years in. According to StatCast, he's not a very good runner. But I don't know. What I care about is an all-time A's great, a World Series champion, and with the Los Angeles Angels, Mike Gallego Gags, one of our all-time favorites here on A's Cast Live. How are you? Chris, how you doing, man? Doing great. Trying to deal with uh, everything that's going on around here, obviously, but uh, that's what we do. We just keep dealing with it and get knocked down, get jump back up and uh, go to war. So that's what we're doing around here right now. How you been? We've been well. I got to tell you, down in Southern California, there is, I mean, amongst the teams, there's a lot of drama going on. I mean, all of a sudden, you had what was going on with you guys. Now Juan Soto is just south of you. Uh, there's a there, there's a lot of baseball stories in your neck of the woods. Well, who doesn't want to play in California? I mean, that's <laughs> the place to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, we got Hollywood. We got San Diego. We got the Oakland Coliseum, Ricky Henderson Field, and we got, you know, the Los Angeles Angels. So yeah, there's a lot of things going on around here for sure. And don't forget the Dodgers and the Giants as well. But um, great place to play, um, great place to be. Players, you know, want to be here, want to play on this uh, West Coast. And uh, I know there was a couple of players that we traded that were very disappointed uh, to leave, even though we were, you know, in the uh, in the area that we are as a team. So um, that goes to tell you how much, uh, how comfortable, not comfortable, but how nice it is to play in California. No doubt about it. How tough was it for you guys? At one point, you're riding high, you're battling, you're thinking about winning the division. And then just for whatever reason, the floor fell from from out from you guys. And obviously, the change with Phil Nevin and Joe Madden being out, it happened so fast, that 14-game losing streak. Just how tough was that as a staff? Um, you know, it's, it's obviously one of the worst things I've ever been through as a, uh, as a coach and as a player, no doubt. Um, it's something that you don't wish upon anybody. Um, but at the same time, you know, I really felt that uh, if we had the right uh, players, 
which I believe there's quite a few in here that uh, could learn from that, um, we're going to be better for it. Obviously, it didn't quite work out that way after I was hoping to turn things around after the All-Star break. Um, didn't quite work out that way. Uh, there was, like you said, there was a change in manager. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's just a matter of lining, lining up the stars and finding the right chemistry. And, you know, obviously the injuries didn't help us at all, not to make any excuses. But um, I still believe this team has, um, has that, that fight, that determination uh, deep inside. And, and it's just a matter of what staff member, what manager, what uh, front office can get that out and these guys from these guys and uh, be, uh, be competitive throughout the season and get an opportunity to play in the playoffs. Well, the guy you got going tonight, Shohei Otani, I can't even believe it. It was even rumored that he possibly could get traded. But as somebody who gets to watch him every day as a hitter, as a pitcher, is it still a situation where you're watching him and you just go, I can't believe that this guy is doing what he's doing on a daily basis? He's incredible. He really is. You know, um, you know watching him and obviously – uh, watching when Mike Trout was healthy, watching him go about his business day in and day out. You know, it, it was it was like, um, you know, uh, you know, these guys are definitely special athletes, special people, special players to be able to go out there and do what uh, they've done. But but Otani, he's on a different category all all, all alone. Uh, he's the guy that, you know, um, you think when he pitches you would think he'd want to take it easy on the base pass. He actually gets mad at us when we give him the red light. He wants to steal bases. He wants his uniform dirty like a little leaguer when he's on the mound. Let's put it that way. He, he, he thrives on having his uniform, you know, dirty when he's out there. And then, you know, when it's a tight, if he wants a tight game and he wants to be the guy to hit that, get that winning RBI, you know, so it's, it's, and with the ability to do it. I mean, a guy that can hit the ball over a hundred miles per hour and throw over a hundred miles an hour, you just don't see that, you know. This is once in a lifetime deal, and and we we get the opportunity to watch this work, this man work every day, and uh, talk about a guy that has uh, baseball instinct and baseball knowledge. Uh, he's he's impressive in the dugout as well. He doesn't miss a pitch. He doesn't miss a, a bad base running mistake. He doesn't miss a great play. This guy is a uh, you know he pulls for his teammates. He works in he, he works impeccably every single day. There's something to everything he does. There's a reason for everything he does in the clubhouse, in the weight room, in the food room. He's, he's, he's a, you know, he's a, he's definitely a special, special player that, you know, we, you know, won't understand the privilege that we've had uh, if he does leave. And uh, so we just, I just sit there and watch and and swallow it and take it all in and, and um, hopefully get a chance to watch him play for a long, long time. The guy's making the big leagues look like it's the little league. I mean, it's just, I, I, you know, he's the best pitcher. He's the best hitter. He's just it's like, you just don't do this. It's incredible. No, it's incredible. And, and he's a student of the game. I mean, this guy studies the pitcher. He studies, he studies the hitters he's facing. He wants his defense in a certain position. Um, most, you know, most pitchers nowadays, they just let the analytics take care of positioning. He wants to see where we're playing. He wants to see how we're playing certain hitters. He knows he's going to pitch a certain hitter a certain way, so he wants our deep, his defense, uh, you know, to play the way he expects to pitch to the hitter. Where you know you give that opportunity to most starting pitchers, 
and they look at you and they go, that's, that's your, that's your area. We don't want anything to do with that. Just put them where you think they should be. But this guy is in tune with everything that's going on on the field and off the field. And, um, he's definitely an ambassador of the game and, and he's going to be that guy for a long, long time. And hopefully, uh, you know, we find a way to keep him around. If not, whoever gets him is going to be a very lucky organization. It's going to be a very uh, exciting, uh, uh, happening for that city, and and uh, it'll be a, a joy to watch this guy continue to break all the records that are available out there. As a man who's been playing up the middle defensively or teaching up the middle defense your entire life, are you looking forward to or will you miss when they ban shifts? <laughs> Great question. Um when, when we started handing out, the first day they started handing out cards to the infielders to tell them where to position, I went to the front office and, and voiced my opinion and said, the, the worst thing that's going to happen from, from these positioning cards is we're going to lose players, infielders range. And they went, what do you mean? I said, because these guys that go to their spot where they're, they're supposed to be on the card, and if it's not hit to their spot, they consider it not their ball. So they're not learning to read balls off the bat. They're not learning to uh, watch swings. They're not learning to watch uh, location. They're not learning to know, not willing to know what your repertoire of your pitcher has. You know, you don't, they, don't, they don't care if the pitcher has a good fastball that day or a good breaking ball or is hitting its spots or not. Or they, don't understand, they, don't even, they don't even give, they don't even want to know the sign. They don't even want to know the pitches. You know, they, it's, it's amazing. You know, we're like, I'm sitting there going, how are you getting jumps? Well, they're not trying to get jumps. You know, they just expect the ball to be hit to that spot. So to answer your question, I'm excited. I'm excited that they hopefully, hopefully they take it back and we don't do any more of the shifting. And I think with that, the players infielders definitely have to pay more attention to those type of details I just mentioned. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot more plays, obviously, uh, as opposed to a line drive up the middle and your second base and standing right there. So now we got to see guys. Moving the moving to uh, uh, getting position and, and reading swings and reading pitches, and I think that it'll make the game for most people a lot more exciting. And and kind of the dirty secret nobody talks about uh, is that pitchers are uncomfortable with the shifts behind them, and some data has shown that pitchers will walk even though you're going to take some outs away. Pitchers will also walk more guys with the shift behind them, which walks lead to runs. So sometimes it can even it out. And I've just seen lately with some of our defenses, like double plays don't get made because guys are out of position. They don't technically know where to go. They don't react fast enough. Have you just seen reaction time be slower because we're putting players in unnatural positions? No, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're a second baseman standing on the shortstop side and the ball gets to the third baseman and you got runners on first and third, you got to turn a double play looking to your, to your right and running forward. I mean, this is an awkward position to be in, you know, and, and with the runner barreling down on you, fortunately we do have that new rule. That is another rule that I'm not fond of, of not being able to hit the middle infielders. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't, I don't, you're right. I don't know how to teach this double play anymore. I used to teach, how to get out of the way of turning when you're turning a double play. I would teach middle infielders how to maneuver over a sliding uh, runner that's willing to knock you on your butt in order to break up a double play to help a run score or get a run over, whatever it may be. Back in the day, those are, those are the things that used to get high fives from 
when you broke up a double play. Nowadays, that's not even talked about, you know. And and so yes, uh, there's no doubt uh, this um, has taken a lot of instinctual uh, abilities away from our middle infielders. And there's a lot of good athletes out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully the, the change of that those rules and um, and hopefully we'll get. Uh, an opportunity for these young players to really show uh, the athletic ability that they have. Well, we know how much the Oakland A's mean to you and your career and your family, and the era that you played in was such a great era, and we're really starting to honor players from that time. I've been doing a lot of TV with Dave Stewart, your teammate who you won a world championship with. Uh, This year for the A's Hall of Fame, Steve Vucinich and Keith Lippman are are both going in. Just, Just how does that make you feel that guys that you played with guys that you were around, people in the organization are finally getting their due that they deserve? Well, obviously, we're all very proud, you know, of, of when, any, when anybody is uh, receiving accolades for, for being an Oakland A, you know, because we all know uh, the teams that we had those in that era obviously were, were special teams, you know, and, and um, every time we see each other, like I just came from Atlanta and I got to hang out with Walt Weiss for three days. And I mean, it was, it was, you know, just talking about right now brings chills to my, to my spine right now, just, just remembering of the things that Walt and I used to do and, and talk about doing on the field, you know, and then other players would come up and, and, and talk to us about it. And uh, it, it was something that, you know, obviously we all were, are very, were very blessed and very proud to be a part of at that time. But um, for these guys to get the, uh, the attention that they deserve, you know, finally, like you said, um, you know, I also got an opportunity to play for, you know, another pretty uh, uh, historical team, which was which is the Yankees. And they always said, once you put the pinstripes on, uh, you know, you've you know, you know, it's, it's something very proud to be a part of, you know, be able to wear the pinstripes. Well, I say that about the white shoes. You know, I feel the same way. I, I to this day, every time I put a pair of white shoes on, like right now, I'm wearing white shoes for batting practice, white tennis shoes. And it's it just takes me back to my Oakland time and and it's something that I'm all very proud of and you know fortunate we are you know getting a chance to see a couple of old friends over there today not the same teams that uh, we've seen in the past but you know it's just the green and gold and and uh, it's something that will always be uh, a part of our, our lives like you said and and um, something to be very proud of and and yes you know I I, I believe that um, uh, the history of these Oakland A's teams are just as important or just as big as, as the Dodgers and the Yankees and Red Sox type of, uh, type of team and, and organization. So it's something that, yes, we're all very proud to be a part of and, and uh, hopefully it'll continue to, to get the uh, attention that this organization needs. Well, they retired your number in New York. <laughs> yeah, they did. Number two. They yeah. definitely did. And they retired it. They actually retired it in, in Oakland too. Number nine. If no one if no one really remembers that, but I had number nine before Reggie uh, came back, and uh, so so yeah, I've I've I got two numbers retired from two teams. So how about that? And, I didn't realize how good of a player and, uh, in my own mind I was. Let's not forget this because I still have it. You weren't a bobblehead. You had the first action figure that was given away at the Coliseum. <laughs> there you go. Good point. There's the, there's a the point. I knew I knew I was born to be a coach. Oh. You know, so. Uh, 
I've, I'm enjoying it. You know, they've got that, you know, I'm back out there again. I've, I've been on, on the, uh, on the bench as a bench coach for the last couple of years. So uh, now with the new, uh, new manager, Phil Nevin, he, uh, he came from the third base box, obviously. And now he asked me to go back out there and, and get, you know, cause I'm basically the only coach on this, on this team that has the experience of, of being a third base coach. So um, it definitely keeps you young being out there on the field again. So I'm excited to be back out there and, um, hopefully uh, we can uh, rack up a few more runs and make my job a little more important. Well, you, your time in Oakland meant a lot to a lot of people. I know there's a lot of guys that grew up playing in the middle infield who wanted to be you when they grow up, and I know they've talked to you about that over time. And just uh, what, just the relationship you'll always have here will, will be great, and we're, 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 we're not pulling for you guys at all down in Anaheim. You know that, but we pull for <laughs> yeah, you, but we don't pull for the rally monkey and we don't pull for the angels, oh. but you will always, I'm, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still not used to that damn rally monkey. Believe me. <laughs> How long are they going to keep that thing rolling? I have no idea. I, I don't know. I think it, it comes from above. Obviously somebody <laughs> likes it up there. And, uh, uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to stick around for a while. Well, we'll see you up here soon. Great to hear your voice, and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, you know you'll always be one of our favorites. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. I appreciate you reaching out and still wanting to talk to me. But, uh, you know, I definitely miss Oakland. I definitely miss all the fans up there and and the whole organization. It's always something that uh, will be in my heart for the rest of my life. So something I appreciate. Thank you all. Take care, Gags. All right, Chris. Take care. The great Mike Gallego. One of our all-time favorites. Yes, the man didn't have a bobblehead. He had an action figure. Remember that? Yeah, I had it. I remember that thing. You wound it up, and it was like a windmill. Yeah. God, I have it somewhere. I, I, I think the Braves did one this year for Wash, but it was a two-hand, two-armed one. So he was like, let me see if I can find a picture of it, see if this is a thing. I thought I saw someone say that on Twitter. Uh, How did you not like Mike Gallego when you were a kid? Short second baseman, could play. Let's see. Um, Creative bobblehead. Yeah, but it's a, it's a YouTube video, so I don't want to. Oh, then it'll play. Yeah. Uh, here it is. What time do we have to be out? Do we have to get to Keith Lippman right now? Uh, we have a, we can get to Lippman in if, like three. I, I told I put it on Twitter at 515, so you got a couple minutes. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to find this about Wash because uh, if, if Gags has one, then you have to give Wash one. Um, all these pop-ups on websites where where is this what is this this what scott boris explains why hosmer vetoed the trade i don't even need to see that i don't want to go to washington why the hell would eric hosmer want to go to washington what what windmill wash waving you home come out to truest park on september 20th to snag this giveaway and then i guess if you click on the the link click on the click on the uh I'm interested in the what what how does Boris spin? I don't want to go to the worst. I don't want to go to a team that a doesn't want me, and they're just going to ship me somewhere else. I mean, because that's what's going to happen. See, at least in Boston, Eric Eric Hosmer's got pride, man. He, I mean, he helped turn it around in Kansas City, won a World Series. Now he's in San Diego. They're winning. He doesn't want to go to D.C. where you got absolutely no chance to win. And then then they're just, who knows where he goes after that. At least going with Boston, he goes to Boston, and Boston's still going to try and somehow win games. They're going to play like they're the Rays, but 
Well, here, go he, ahead. Uh, windmill wash is what it's called. Um, at, here's the quote from Boris. I guess athletes, when they become free agents, they want to have a little more control over where they play and who they play for. And certainly, in Eric's contract, he had a list of teams that did not that he did not want to go to. And remember, Soto is a Boris guy, so Boris is bringing Soto in, while that is bringing in Josh Bell, which then is hurting his other client, Eric Hosmer. Remember, Hosmer's paying Boris too. Yeah. And now Boris has to be like, well, I'm orchestrating a trade that's going to screw you, but now I got to try and find a spot. I mean, being an agent for a lot of different guys. The the last part of the quote is because he didn't want to be in a rebuild. Okay. He wanted to be in a competitive environment, and we're happy that the Padres ownership got involved and helped trade him to a team that allowed him that opportunity. Think about that. My own agent is getting me thrown out of the place I want to be. And now I got a veto going to Washington, and I'm telling him, you better get me somewhere better than Washington. Your own agent, who, by the way, Hosmer's deal was, Hosmer's deal was what, one, one, four, four, 144 over eighth, I think? All right, so you're paying a percentage of your $144 million to your agent. And your agent is brokering a deal saying Juan Soto means more to me, and I'm brokering a deal to bring Juan Soto to your, to your team. And, oh, by the way, Josh Bell is going to be a part of that, and now I'm acing you out. That's your own agent is acing you out of your job, of the team you're on. And now you're getting sent to Washington? And then the people tried to make Hosmer look like a bad guy, like, oh, Hosmer's going to do the no trade. Yeah, I don't want to go to D.C., there was 10 teams on his no trade, and Washington was but one I'll of them. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Long term, knowing that he can hit the ball the other way, the way he does, and not trying to pull it, because he's gotten into pull mode trying to hit more more home runs, Fenway Park could be a good spot for Eric Hosmer. Yeah. Because uh, they, they do like them, some gritty. It's like a Kevin Millar. They like him, the gritty old school guy. They like that kind of ball player in Boston. They appreciate that kind of guy. And that, you know, Mike Lowell, you think of those guys where Bill Miller. you're a veteran guy that comes in, and if you're knocking doubles off uh, off the off the monster, they'll fall in love with you real quick. Trot Nixon. Trot Nixon. I was watching when I was watching the captain. Remember, Big Poppy was nobody. Big Poppy was a fat guy who couldn't hit <laughs> coming out of Minnesota. And Big Poppy becomes one of the all-time Boston greats. Yeah. And he's in the Hall of Fame, won it a few weeks ago. Oh, really? Did he really? Yeah, I, I don't know if you noticed that or not. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but, you know, that, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you come in and start playing, and you do some things in Boston, they'll fall in love with you real quick because God knows Hein Bloom's running that. Uh... Oh, by the way, I was going to text you, PBO. I saw, I saw in my notes here uh, a guy – Running one of these teams is now a PBO. What what is that? Not CBO. Principal baseball owner. President of baseball operations. Oh. Not chief. Chief baseball operations. President of PBO, like the uh, pro uh, bowlers tour. It's a PBA. PBA. What's PBO? I is there a PBO? I don't know. I know there's a there's president of baseball op- operations for one of the teams in That'd baseball. That'd be Farhan Zaidi. He's one. I think it might be the guy in Tampa. Might be the oh, president. Er- Eric Neander. My, he might be president of baseball operations. Yeah, Neander's the guy who took over for Heim. God. For, there's a lot of vice presidents of baseball operations. Billy Bean. But president. 
He's right? Billy, PBO. Billy's VP of baseball ops, right? Isn't what his official title he's is? He's VP, yeah. yeah. Everybody's got a title. Yeah. Well, he's a VP, but Farhan's the president of baseball ops. You know who ops? doesn't have a title? I'm a multimedia producer. What are you? Multimedia producer. That's what you are? Yeah. I have a, I have a title. Guy works every day. Uh, uh, I think you're a senior broadcast producer. Yeah. That's what, what your title is. Guy works every day. And in the end, has to uh, if something goes wrong, I got to take the brunt of it. Well, you're, you're, the, you're the voice of AceCast. Yeah. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Keith Lippman, 52 years. 52 years with the Oakland Athletics. Excuse me, Kansas City Athletics to Oakland Athletics. Grew up in Kansas. You went to the University of Kansas. Played for the A's. Managed in the A's system. What's the highest he got? Triple A? I think triple A. I'd have to go back and look. But his entire career has been with the A's organization. 52 years. You want to talk about two perfect guys going in together? Steve Vucinich, Keith Lippman. And now Keith, uh, you know, semi-retired, not doing the daily grind anymore. What exactly is his title now? I think it's Special Advisor Player Development. You think about... His, that is correct, special advisor to player development. How many players, coaches, managers he has helped throughout the years have better careers, big league level, not. He has gotten the award in 2010, the Sheldon Bender Award for Minor League Baseball for Distinguished Service and being influential in player development. He got that in 2000. And 10, 2020 uh, was given by Baseball America the Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award for for what he's done in our game. I mean, he's a legend. Here is new Oakland A's Hall of Famer Keith Lippman on A's Cast Live. Keith, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Doing fine. Congratulations. I really appreciate the kind words. It's uh, pretty unexpected. After 52 years, you think it's unexpected? <laughs> well, the way they delivered it, uh, Bob Melvin had, you know, I thought he was honoring me for 50 years. And when he got done, he turned around and looked at Dave Cavill. And then he uh, basically just said, you know, we're, we're going to induct you to the Hall of Fame. And then, uh, you know, that COVID hit, so it knocked it off for a little while. But yeah, uh, I was pretty shocked at the moment. Well, awesome stuff. It's going to be great to see, and what an honor. Well, I'm really honored after, you know, so many experiences as a player, a manager, a coach, a coordinator, and a farm director. I think I've seen every element of uh, the A's organization. Uh, even growing up as a kid in Kansas City, uh, you know, I was there for – the Charlie Finley years and, you know, being able to see 
the entire uh, evolution of really of the organization to today. So uh, I think I've had a pretty nice view of, of the system for a long, long time. Do you ever look back and think about your days as a Jayhawk at the University of Kansas when you got that degree in journalism and you go, wow, I could have been like Townsend and been a radio guy instead of being in baseball for 52 years? Well, Chris, I got to tell you, after my final (laughs) year in 1979, I was playing in Ogden, Utah, yeah, and I went down that path for like a few minutes. I, I took a job with an advertising company. And I was sort of an internship that I didn't get any money. I had to, you know, work for the school system. I had to substitute teach. And, uh, you know, but halfway through in maybe mid-January, I got a call and they said, you know, one of our guys quit. One of our low-A managers, would you be considered uh, or consider managing? And, uh, you know, I, ju- I jumped at that. So that was my last thought of any journalism enterprises. I just, you know, 52 years with any corporation is truly amazing. The fact that you're in your 52nd year with the A's. I mean, you grew up a Kansas City A's fan. You grew up in this organization. And here you are 52 years later. Do you just ever sit back and go, my God, what a run? Well, actually... Once I, you know, name with for this honor, uh, it it was time to do some reflecting, and uh, I actually have gone back and thought about uh, how lucky and fortunate I was to be around all these phenomenal people. Uh, you know, all the great managers that have come through the A system. I've had some connection with uh, everybody, all the way back to Jim Marshall. Uh, you know, Renee Latchman, that you know was went on to be with other managers, but I, I have been with La Russa and Billy Martin and, you know, not to name drop anybody, but uh, I've been around to see a lot of different people, a lot of Hall of Famers. Uh, when Billy came, he brought uh, Harmon Killebrew and Eddie Matthews. So I've just been lucky to be around these people and each era brought its unique uh, sense of what that manager wanted to do, what the GM wanted to do at that time. So, it's never been a dull moment. I've uh, my eyes are wide open to change and all the new varieties of, of way things people do things, and uh, it's been enjoyable. It's been fun. They're really nice people to have worked with. Uh, Billy and David Sandy were extremely loyal uh, to all of us. Grady, Eric, anybody in the system, Boos, uh, Mickey. Uh, we, we've been really lucky that four ownership changes and uh, basically a whole group of people still remain in the system. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. That's been the real reason you get good people at the top that believe in you and uh, you want to do well and you want to help be around a game you love, the passion for watching great baseball every day. Who gets to watch a a baseball game every day? It's uh, it's incredible lifestyle. I'm so glad you brought up the continuity because the the A's, whether you're talking about the – Major League Baseball or the NFL, NBA hockey. I mean, the fact that as as a guy going in with you, Steve Vucinich has basically be, has been at his job his entire life, and you mentioned the continuity inside the organization, that's just something you don't see in regular life, let alone professional sports. 
I'm glad you recognize that because that's truly one of the special things about this organization is that the people that have been around it for so long, the loyalty, the trust, it truly is a a family atmosphere. Yeah, you know, I think it started uh, really with Sandy, uh, Walter Haas. You know, that sort of the motto was we want everybody uh, that comes in the A's organization to be a better player and a better person. And I think that extended on to the staff as well. You know, that that whole idea that uh, we were all together, there was a lot of things we did together uh, that they, you know, tried to make it a, a family situation you know, a lot of get-togethers, a lot of acknowledgments. You know, I got a 10-year award for being there and then another 15-year award. They made it sort of incentivize uh, your life uh, just by the way that they conducted their business. Uh, they were good to us. They gave us uh, plenty of time to, you know, be with our family. And uh, in most cases, you know, whether it was a medical emergency or whatever, the family always came first. And uh, that translated to, I think, the players recognizing that they had a good environment to play in. And, you know, after it's all said and done, uh, after all these years, I think for the staff and for the players, uh, we, we really have, have had fun with this organization. I think the players love playing here. Well, over the years, you've been so kind to us. I mean, I remember going back to 2010 when you won the Sheldon Bender Award for your service in minor league baseball and player development. Not too long ago, we had you on uh, when you got the Baseball America Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award. Those were all very special moments, obviously, for you and your career. Now we have you on again to talk about you going into the A's Hall of Fame. How does this award and what does this award mean to you and your family? Actually, uh, the other two were, you know, it was great to be recognized by the industry, you know, for, uh, you know, your work amongst all the other organizations, uh, you know, and that, that was, that meant a lot to me because uh, it's your peers, it's, uh, you know, the people that you work with on a regular basis. And then, you know, Baseball America recognizing me in that regard was, uh, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, I, I really appreciate it, but getting to this award uh, has really humbled me. I can't tell you uh, how much I've reflected on all my experiences and uh, what it's meant to me to be part of this organization. Uh, it, it's, there's nothing quite like it. I, I can't really describe uh, it's who I am. It's where I've come from. Um, as a kid growing up, I always dreamed I would play for the Kansas City A's and never in a wild imagination would I ever thought that I would be going into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame, you know, after playing, coaching, uh, I, I could have never imagined that. And uh, crazy how things play itself out over the years. But I had great mentors like Carl Keel, Harvey Dorfman. They were pioneers uh, in the game, and they really taught me a lot about how to conduct myself, how to, you know, play the game, how to do the mental game. These, these were great people. And I think I'm just a reflection of, of all the people that have been around me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm honoring them by going into the Hall of Fame and along with all these managers, coaches. Uh, they're the real people, the behind-the-scenes individuals that do the work day in and day out and don't get really recognized. So I'm sort of looking at this as I'm going in on behalf of a whole group of people 
that really deserve to be recognized for uh, their work in over the years. There's so many of them. What is it? What has it meant to you over your career when you watch players, when you watch coaches, managers, people that you've helped, people that you've helped mentor, and then they go on to the big leagues and have success? What has that been for you as you're a teacher, you're a mentor, you're a friend? You've worn a lot of different hats for a lot of people. What has it meant to you when you see them have success at the big league level? You know, I, I found that kind of my niche was that and there's a line that uh, I, I read the other day. It's something like that the greatest successes in life are often found in helping others succeed and that the most lasting and fulfilling achievements are often earned by others, you know, helping others fulfill theirs. That was kind of a very interesting quote, but it came down to really how I think I am and I've operated all these years. It's all about what can I do for you? How can I help? Um, I found a niche where I was rewarded by that work. And, uh, you know, there was nothing like it. I didn't really have any great desires to be a big league manager after managing for eight or nine years in the system. Uh, then I, I kind of found, found that player development, uh, as far as the leadership part of it, uh, you know, I can help staff. I can help players through my own experience. And uh, that meant more than anything to me. So, uh, I'm just grateful that uh, I've been able to find meaning and purpose within what I did. I, I didn't ever have to keep climbing the ladder to to get higher or further along in the in the business. I found a great place and uh, I'm comfortable in it, and it's been real re- rewarding. Out to see a Seth Brown or a Jonah Bride, maybe some of the underdogs that people don't you know expect to get to the big leagues. Uh, some of those are the, your most favorite. Uh, experiences to call them or to text them and, you know, let them know that, uh, you know, they're going to big leagues or, you know, after they get their first hit. Uh, Those are the real thrills for uh, a lot of us in in player development. It's watching other people succeed and knowing you had just a little part in in their growth and development. You know, when I I think about a 52-year career, and when you sit back and you reflect on all these years and all the people you've been around, is there a story you can give us that maybe you'd forgotten that it triggered in your mind a special time, a conversation, a relationship, a deal or something that while you're reflecting, really it brought it back up and really touched your heart? Well, I mean, there's there's so many of them. Uh, most of my conversations, uh, you know, with the managers, uh, Bob Melvin had a big impact on me, uh, just his day-to-day operations, uh, the way he handled the ball club. And once I started thinking back from when he first got here, uh, we, we were close, uh, a lot of the times he lives close to where I live in Prescott. He lives in Sedona and we would spend time together and just talk baseball and about how he did things. And, uh, we had lots of good interaction. It just made me uh, reflect on so many conversations I had with him about uh, so many things about baseball and, you know, where he had been in his life with it. And it made me appreciate him and so many other managers that, uh, you know, had touched me over the course of my career. But he in particular uh, came to my mind as uh, one of the really great people that uh, influenced me. Well, I got to tell you, you're an inspiration to us all. 52 years 
in Major League Baseball, 52 years with the same franchise. (laughs) And it's the same franchise that you grew up loving. When I say you've been living a dream, I really mean it. Congratulations. You've earned everything you have gotten. And when you go in there, if there's anybody that needs to be represented by the A's for for the rest of of our time and the rest of baseball time, it is you, my friend. Congratulations on this honor. Such a special time, and we can't wait to see you for the inductions. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I really appreciate your kind words. It's uh, heartwarming. It makes me feel appreciated, and, and I thank you a lot. Great stuff from the new A's Hall of Famer. It's all going to be on Sunday. By the way, quickly, we're going to be on because we're uh, we got a game tomorrow, day game, so we won't be on. We're off Friday. A's Cast Live is back Saturday. Saturday, one to three at the Coliseum. We're going to ha- hopefully have Mark Kotze. Mark Kotze, Vuce, and the other another member of the Hall of Fame, Vuce, will be joining us on. Are the we field. on Sunday too? Uh, no. Why not? It's, a, that's oh, a, it's early. It's a little. What? That's super early. Plus the Hall of Fame ceremony, so we're going to be. What's why would it be super early? Well, uh, what time would it be? We'd have to go on from what eight to nine to eleven. What time's the game? Uh, like twelve thirty-eight or one on Sunday. Huh? Are you talking about Sunday? Yeah, it's a day game. It's one o'clock. We'd be on at like ten. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was early. It's early. Uh, we're gonna hopefully have Stephen vote because of Ray Fossey. It'd be nice to catch up a voter and. Hopefully, Andrew Bailey, the pitching coach of the San Francisco Giants. Boom, boom. Yeah. Love it. Is that it for our show? It is. Ace total access in four minutes. Cannot believe it's already done. Thank you to Keith Lippman, Scott Miller, Mike Gallego, the great Mike Gallego, A's World Series champion now, third base coach for the Angels, checking in from Anaheim, and... Ray Fossey and Vince Scully. By the way, we are going to replay Ray Fossey and Vince Scully coming up here in A's Total Access, and we'll play another interview. We'll have two interviews of Ray and Vince Scully. Ray and Vinny Show coming your way next. A's Total Access, and thank you for listening to A's Cast Live. Quickly again, Sunday back on, I mean, Saturday at what time? Saturday, 1 to 3. Can't wait. Thank you, everybody, for watching A and listening to A's Cast Live. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.